Welcome from the City of Entertainment. You are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. The only show that really gets personal with the stars. Partnered with Casino Player Magazine, a monthly gaming lifestyle publication with over 88,000 paid subscribers nationally, which now features LaFong's syndicated columns and backstage videotaped interviews online. Our website is lasvegasbackstagetalk.com, where the show is currently streaming live. Now, please welcome your host, Comedian Michelle LaFong. Hey, hey, and we have a great show for you tonight. We've got comedian Dennis Miller and a backstage interview with Melissa Manchester, Grammy Award winning Melissa Manchester. So we're going to go straight away to Dennis Miller. Although I feel like I'm 18, but then again, when I, when I was 18, I was oddly burdened and troubled, much like a 57 year old. So, uh, <laughs> Everything's come full circle, Simba. <laughs> I think it's easier to grow old in comedy than it is in some of the other arts, like rock and roll, for instance. Huh? I was just working in Vancouver at a casino. The band coming in after me was Air Supply, who now tour under the name Air Supply Literally. <laughs> Seen the Rolling Stones lately? Believe me, moss has been gathered. Oh, funny stuff, Dennis. How are you? Good, Mitch. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing very well. What s- subjects will you be tackling other than politics? Well, listen, I, I, out of an hour show on any given night, I try to make a half an hour of it just random observations about things that comedians talk about, the inequities of life or growing older. Or, you know, just uh, I don't want to be out there preaching for an hour about politics. But, uh, you know, since I've been... Known since Saturday Night Live as a topical comedian, that stuff does come into it. So I try to split it half and half, just make half of it uh, more observational, uh, you know, uh, and, and I, do, I use the term loosely, Carlin-esque, you know, and then half of it to be more uh, uh, politic, uh, politically oriented. But I don't want to lecture about politics for an entire hour. Uh, so you like it here in Las Vegas? No, oh, I love it in Las Vegas. Very kind to me out there at the Orleans, and I talked to Carvey about it, and uh, we, we agree it's one of the best comedy rooms we've played there. The rake on the crowd, in other words, the slope up is great, the sound great, the lighting, so it's a perfect uh, room for a comedian. I agree. So you and Dana Carvey are friends for years, and you toured with Carvey, and didn't you have to follow him? Actually, uh... Ever? I, I think when we first worked, uh, Dana, I was Dana's middle act up in Sacramento, California, or Portland, Oregon. I can't remember. That's the first time I went. Then we went out on tour together, and we just found that the, the, it, the sequencing worked better when Kevin Nealon went first, Dana second, and I went last. Wow. So how did you, did you ever find that following him was difficult? Because I wouldn't want to follow Dana Carvey. Let me see, the hardest guy I've ever had to follow, and then Dana and I just, uh, we work such different sides of the tracks that I don't think he would have had any trouble following me, and it's not like I went up there petrified, just our acts are too too different, but the the hardest guy, the one that I really had trouble uh, was uh, following Jeff Foxworthy in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, south of the Mason-Dixon line. Now that is the definition (laughs) of hard. I totally understand that. Jeez, you talk about, and we were in front of 10,000 people at some student center, and uh, I am telling you, that was fighting for my life. (laughs) They loved him so much. (laughs) 
It's like following the Beatles. Well, it's it down south. I think if you take that up north, I'd feel more comfy. But you know that whole you might be a redneck. He was talking about their friends, you know. So, so they funny. they loved him, and he's a great guy, and he just kills. He's a pro. So that was tough. Absolutely. So a lot of people want to know what you're like in your uh, private life. Are you the same Dennis Miller off stage as you were on stage? Do you think you're like judgmental? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I just uh, I, I think I'm more of a loner in real life. <laughs> I well, think, I figured uh, that. I uh, am quieter, probably more of a loner. Uh, I, I look at the world around me, and it seems madness that way goes. So I try not to, on a day-to-day basis, once I'm off the clock, I try to uh, read or watch old movies or hit a golf ball. Try not to think about it because uh, the world seems to be in a weird place right uh-huh. now. Uh-huh. So who do you golf with when you golf? I usually go out with a friend named Jeff. I probably doesn't want his last name okay. shared. He lives up here. We go out and hit together. But uh, how did I know you golfed? I knew it. I knew you would be a golfer. Oh, but I'm talking about once a month. I'm hardly an ardent golfer, but I'm saying I do like to get out. What, what do they call it? A, a good walk spoiled. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's true. So, like, what is your guiltiest pleasure? I'm just going to mm, get to it. <laughs> I go to uh, Trader Joe's and I get those cherries that are dipped in chocolate. And you don't look like someone who has to watch their weight or anything. Yeah, well, I'm around uh, five nine one eighty, so I'm right on the cusp of becoming a Macy's balloon. So yeah, I have to keep an eye on it, but <laughs> only one eye, not both eyes at this point. Any um, through your career, did you ever have any substance abuse issues? No, nah, no, nah, I'm one of the few people I know have never done blow in their life. I really? Remember the first guy I saw do cocaine. It was in a comedy club, and he had a, uh, you know, I won't say his name, but he had a faux heart attack, or, you know, they had to take him out. Wow. And it was probably good for my hard drive that the first person I saw do it <laughs> <laughs> had to be taken to the hospital. That always sticks with me. Well, what about drinking? I'm not a big drinker. I might have, well, I probably have a drink every few months. I don't know. Uh, you you drink, know, I have a drink? martini. Martinis? But, uh, no, I'm not a drinker. Okay. What's your favorite sitcom? Don't watch many sitcoms. I, I, so. I, I watch Turner Classic movies or sports every night. But if I don't you had watch to many watch sitcoms. a sitcom, what sitcom do you ever see? Seinfeld? Are you a Seinfeld? One of yeah, those? I don't think you can be in the culture and not have watched Seinfeld. But I, I guess if I had to prefer, there's one that I watched the most, probably Larry Sanders when he was on. I like that. Ah, okay. That, okay, that's a while back. That's... Yeah, I just don't watch a lot of uh, commercial television. I'm not trying to be cooler than now or anything. It's just uh, that that medium doesn't really interest me. Do you carry a pencil and paper with you? Are you now high-tech with your material? Do you just talk into a recorder? Or... Yeah, I have a little mini recorder, and I got that from way back when, when Steve Allen did it. Now, granted, it was harder to do when he did it. It was like those old first cell phones that looked like a walkie-talkie in a war movie. He had a tape recorder that I think was reel-to-reel. But I have a little one that just fits in my pocket. And, God, I've been doing that for over probably 12 to 15 years, and it's been a godsend. Uh, I have those little moments where you think, that's kind of funny. Put it down and then analyze it later in the week. Exactly. Do you gamble at all when you're in town? Mm Mm-mm. No, nah, never been a gambler. I, I guess I'm a square. I probably sound like a bore. No, and you know not. what? I, del- I delight in being a bore. <laughs> <laughs> I think when your life gets too cool, <laughs> you you run the risk of buying into all the bulls. Let's say you couldn't be a comic for whatever reason. You couldn't be show business or a writer or that sort of thing. What regular nine to five job do you think 
Dennis Miller would be it? I don't know. Maybe a short-order cook. I'm always fascinated by those guys when I watch them at a Waffle House or something. Uh, being really? able to keep eight breakfasts going. I've always been like that. You you cook? I, I do uh, breakfast, uh, Waffle House sort of cooking. I like <laughs> to, uh, but no, I can't. Uh, I'm not a high-end cook, but I, I've always been fascinated by short-order cooks. Wow. So I, I I just started to watch so much of your stuff last night. I was like becoming into a Miller head. I'm, I'm watching the epidemic of uh, the, <laughs> you have a, a Trojan War. You know, I love that line. Do you remember that? Um, the Trojan there war? is a war on women and it's been flashpointed at contraception. Can we at least refer to it as a Trojan War? I yeah. love that. I yeah, love I that. I should tweet more. That was a good. That was probably a good tweet. But uh, I, I find tweets so. Uh, you know, the, I went on there once for around four days. Now I have somebody who I give the stuff to. Uh, it's my stuff. I'll call her and say, "Hey, I said this," and she puts it on. Or she'll say, "Hey, this question's on there," and I'll answer it. But I stay off it because it was it was just too hateful. God, I remember <laughs> the first time I went on, somebody said, "I I hope they find you dead in an alley," and I thought, "Oh my God, I don't need this." Wow. So I, what? I, before I let you go, I just have to ask you, what do you think you're hardest on yourself over? I don't know. I try I, uh, the thing I hold myself most accountable for is being a good husband and good father. But I wouldn't say I was uh, harsh on myself. I just. Uh, expect certain level of competency in that area. The rest of it all seems to be gravy. You know, to me, show business is a caprice. Uh, Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. You should handle both with a suitable degree of aplomb. That's fantastic. Thank you so much, Dennis Miller. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a backstage interview with Melissa Manchester. We'll be right back. And you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFon. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox. Cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today, 702-938-0190 or on the web, at www.hrwellness.net The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic Paradise Nail Bar is a new experience in service and atmosphere for full service manicure and pedicure services With two convenient Las Vegas locations we've expanded to a new facility in Southeast Las Vegas Eastern and Windmill as well as in Summerlin Come and enjoy our services at Paradise Nail Bar and Salon the finest in services for your salon and spa needs. Offering full-service hair salon, manicure and pedicure, massages and spa. At Paradise Nail Bar, we also do many petty parties for special occasions or any other reason you'd like. 
Have your party here with friends, beverages, and karaoke. Book now online 24-7 at paradisenailbar.com. Welcome back, and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Don't cry out loud, just keep it inside, and learn how to hide your feelings, and I think we can make it. Hi, this is Michelle Fong on Las Vegas Backstage Talk, and our special guest is Melissa Manchester, and we are backstage at the Suncoast, where Melissa Manchester has her show this weekend, Saturday and Sunday at 7.30 p.m. I am so excited! <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Melissa, so... We had a great interview. We did. I had so much fun. I did too. And you called me from Australia. I was in Sydney, yes. Now, how long were you in Sydney? I was in Sydney for two weeks, uh, touring around Australia, and then I got on a Holland America Line ship, the Amsterdam, and did a performance aboard there from Sydney to Auckland. So it was seven days, and my kids met me, and it was it was unbelievable. Oh, how much fun. Mm-hmm. Now, I've done Holland America. They're probably the oldest crowd that I ever played to, and really? I don't know. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Holland America, for me, was my toughest crowd as well. Did you find them receptive and, and alive and upbeat? Because singers uh, uh, don't have the same problems comics have. Yeah, no, I, I do what I do, you know, whether there's a drunk at the bar or 10,000 people in the audience. Really? Yeah, it's How just do, do you handle a drunk at the bar? I do what I do. <laughs> I'd like to know what that is. It's just, you know, when I was starting and I played at a place called Gertie's Folk City, which is a very famous place in Greenwich Village. Paul Simon started there, Peter, Paul and Mary, Bob Dylan, Pete Seeger, everybody started there. And, um, and Mike Porco, who was the owner, he was a son of a bitch, but a great guy. And he would say you would do three shows, whether there's anybody in the audience or not. And so frequently... That sounds normal to yeah, me, yes. So there are frequently more people on stage than anybody in the club. Yes. And sometimes at two in the morning, there was only a drunk at the bar. Wow. Was and it my just, father? <laughs> <laughs> just tell me the truth. <laughs> I only saw the back of his head. <laughs> so wait, did you have trouble dealing with that at any time in your career? Uh, well, there have been moments that have just been squirrely, but, you know, they're great stories, uh, and, uh, I remember opening for Billy Joel, and oh. I was at the Capitol in, in, uh, Jersey, and, uh, it was, it was great, and Billy and I sort of came up at the same time, but I was opening for him, and I was doing one of my heartfelt ballads, and Billy was starting to take off, and I was still sort of on the college circuit, and... Um, uh, and in the middle of one of my heartfelt ballads, somebody from the top tier from the peanut gallery yells out, You suck! Get off! (laughs) I just kept playing. Wow, my husband did that to me last (laughs) night. (laughs) I think it's the same guy. Maybe. (laughs) Small world! So so are you tempted to stop 
and address anything at any time you when know, that happens? In the old days, when something was weird, you know, if I would start playing and people would actually start to get up to dance <laughs> because they thought I was a chick singer with the band. That's very You good. know, that would just sort of throw me. But I, I wasn't fully occupying my space at the time. I get you. I've been doing this for so long now. I just know what I do. So people want to inadvertently think of me Blurt as the out. chick singer, right. you know. Okay. Uh, but the, the other day we were at a fabulous benefit. But it was like this weird New Year's Eve party. People start getting dancing. And I just, you know, look at my musicians and I try not to giggle because it's so bizarre. And I just get on with it because I know myself and I know what I do. And I sort of take that with me wherever I go now. Well, it's got to have helped that you <laughs> created the Harlets, by the way, with Bette Midler. Yeah. I mean, and that you were the middle boobs. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the yeah. funny, the tits in the middle. That's yeah. a great line. Yeah. But uh, it's got to have helped coming up in those gigs with the, the in the gay bathhouses even. I mean, that builds character. All of it builds character. I mean, I pay... Hard dues, like I'm sure you did. Oh, all as I'm well. still paying. That's hard right. Dues. Well, as a musician, uh, you know, uh, I played the college coffee house circuit in New York, so I went all over New York State. And in those days, that was prior to me having electronic keyboards or any of that awareness. So I played on any piece of crap piano that they offered me, and it was usually broken, and it was usually to my back with my back to the audience. Ah, yeah. So it was, nice. Yeah. So it was real. You know, it was what it was. Sure. Uh, and then I remember the first time I played at Reno Sweeney's, which was a landmark oh, yeah. club in Manhattan, and it was the first clean place I'd ever played. It was the first place where where somebody actually said to me, "Do you have everything you need?" <laughs> It was a watershed mark. I've never been treated so nicely. Isn't that some, yeah. How long into your career did that moment happen? Years. Isn't that something? Yeah, yeah, years. So, so what do you think about these reality shows now where these kids come up and they're made into big stars like American Idol? They, they really didn't pay their dues. They're straight out of... Uh, well, they're gonna. They're gonna. They're gonna. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because it's 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 a two part answer. Those formulas are based on very old shows: Ted Mack Amateur Hour and Major Bowls. Those were the original competitions. One was a radio show, and one was a, an early TV show in the early fifties. Uh, but there was no big contract attached to it. That's, it was just, that's correct. It was just right. a, you know, an amateur contest. Now the contracts are so ironclad that the kids pay their dues in effect by going on these extremely rigorous tours after. Yes. And they're locked into these management tours and recording tours. So I don't know what the end result is, but hopefully everybody turns into Kelly Clarkson, but mostly they don't. Right. But they have their, their you know, they get their huge amount of fame, their huge hit, and you see if they can turn it into something. Now, we talked about you being a coach, and yes. I think you would be a perfect coach on American Idol. I'm just saying. I do, saying. too. Oh, God, and I would love to do that. Please listen <laughs> <laughs> well, I teach. I teach at USC now, and I teach a performance and songwriting to singer-songwriters. And it's fascinating because you don't know what you know until somebody is your student and says, tell me what you know. Exactly. And, you know, and then you have to start answering. And, um, and then you so listen to yourself talk. You do, and you realize how small their life experience is and how that informs them. And you're coming from a much longer shadow of experience. And you want to say, okay, that thought that you're having, 
try to multiply it by 30 years if you're interested in that kind of a career. Sure. Or 40 years if you're really interested in that kind of right. career. And are you writing songs that you're looking forward to singing and right. growing with you? And so all the mistakes a, that you made, and you had to learn the hard way, you can just, like, don't you wish you had somebody like you? Don't I you? Because do. I, I mean, I, mean I, I had, I was fortunate enough. I was blessed to have uh, Paul Simon as a songwriting teacher <gasps> at NYU. Yeah, I took a class with him when I was 17. I had amazing adventures. Amazing. The fact that I was in Manhattan with two very festive parents and an adorable sister at, being a teenager in New York was just God's perfection. It really was. It was major divine demonstration because I did, I, I would stumble on amazing adventures. Paul Simon was my songwriting teacher. I became an usher at Lincoln Center at the Beaumont Theater. Uh, I was parked cars for a theater company. They didn't know that I didn't know how to drive. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I did street theater. I was a staff writer at Chapel Music when I was 17. I wow. made a living. I made more money than my dad when I was 18 years old because I was a jingle singer. And that's where I met Barry Manilow and Patty Austin and oh. Ashford and Simpson. And I mean, we were, and that's where we all learned how to be performers. Because as a jingle singer, you learn how to think and adjust on your feet. So would I recognize you from a jingle? Um, um, I, it was mostly choral stuff. You know, McDonald's and okay. Pepsi and all that stuff. But I might recognize that if you well, remember, you, you, you know. You, you know, you would remember You deserve this. a break it's that today. Stuff. It's, right. Yeah. But uh, so, so it was the, uh, you know, I, Sesame Street was being produced five blocks away from my apartment, my parents' apartment. Oh, really? So I knocked on the door. This was all pre-9-11. I knocked on the door. The stage manager opens up and he says, what do you want? I said, I want to do anything. He said, come on in. They brought me into the editing room, 17 years old. And the big discussion, the first season of Sesame Street was what would happen to the integrity of the program if they came out with a line of toys. Really? I love that Isn't story. that, that's great. The beginning of that empire. And they just, and I was just a gopher. And I was just there for six months, you know, I just stayed. That's just like you creating the harlots. I exactly. mean, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. And Barry and I met when we were both jingle singers. And I was playing at a club called The Focus on 74th Street. And he was playing with Bette. At a club called the Continental Bathhouse on 74th Street. The Continental Bathhouse. Right. Yeah, it was a gay club. All it's the guys great. sat wrapped in towels watching her. And if they didn't like the performer, they would throw the towels. <laughs> throw in the towel. They would literally <laughs> throw in the towel. And um, and Bette, Bette was not a commercial singer at all. She was not a, a studio singer. But... You know, she she loved background singing, and she was intrigued by girl groups and all that stuff. So Barry brought her to see me one night on their night off. And um, she had just done the Carson show, sang Shaboom, Shaboom, made America crazy. And after my set, I went to see her and introduced myself. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm getting ready for Carnegie Hall. And I said, whoa, do you want to have any background singers? And she said, I don't know. Do you want to sing it back of me? I said, no, I'd like to sing instead of you. In the meantime, <laughs> I'd like to sing it back That's of my you. Girl. <laughs> and Barry and I organized, originally it was called MGM because those were the initials. And then we became the Red Light District. And then we were finally called the Harlettes. And I was the toots in the middle for six I months. I love that. Yeah. What a great story. Mm -hmm. So... You opened for, a, you said before, that you had opened for who? Billy Joel, yeah. Who Once, else? Yeah. 
Who else did you get the pleasure of opening for? Well, I went on tour. I did the first tour with the band Orleans. They were wonderful oh, yeah. guys. We did a long tour with them. It was interesting because in those days, and it may be true still, I don't know, but in those days you would do a, a, a routing where you would literally be following people. I would be following Bonnie Raitt someplace. You would just see that their names yes. were, you know, carved out of the dressing room right before It's so you. true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Billy Joel, gosh, um, I don't know, um, you know, folks. And Manila was, was working and starting to go up the charts, and I was starting to go up the charts. And then we were both signed to the same record company, so we really kept an eye on each other. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Melissa Manchester. We'll be right back, and you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. How would you like to create a whole new you? That's right. That person you see in the mirror every day, well, you can change how you look and how you feel about yourself by calling Hairworks by Janice Fusaro. Janice Fusaro is the Maserati of hair extension with over 20 years of experience and is the best of Las Vegas, specializing in great lengths and is certified by all the top hair extension companies. And feathers are available. Whether it's making your hair longer or thicker, Janice can make your dreams come true. Go to longhairextensions.net and see the before and afters. And then pick up the phone and make an appointment for your free, that's right, free consultation. Call 702-326-6564. It's a whole new you with Hairworks by Janice Fasaro. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox. Cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today, 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic Welcome back and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong Hey, hey, and we are back with more Melissa Manchester So what about politics in the industry, the singing industry? Because I know that from comedy... It, the politics are... It's fierce. It's fierce. It's, fierce. it's killer. And being a female... Still, it, right? Oh, still. I think really? it's worse. <laughs> I mean, people people think that it's an advantage, but I think it's only an advantage to men. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I, I just do not see it as an advantage. Do you think that in singing, there's the same kind of politics, or is there a lot of politics? You know... It, 
uh, the, I guess the answer is there always has been. Um, I know that there used to be a racial quota. I was once turned down. That's this, interesting. Yeah. I, they, the, um, they, nobody will admit it, but it's true. Yes. Uh, there would be a roster, I guess, at the record companies, and if they had too many black chicks or too many white chicks or not enough girl groups or not enough guy groups, or I don't know, whatever. Absolutely. But, but literally, I was about to sign a contract when I was, I don't know, 15 or 16, and this was all before faxes and emails and all that stuff. And what I was hearing, because the guy was about to get pass the contract to me, what I heard him say was, yes, she's white. <laughs> what do you mean she doesn't sound white? She's white. Uh, and that was the end of it. Isn't that yeah, something? So, you know, it's all just nuts. And That just came up in an interview with B.J. Thomas because oh, really? I didn't understand how come his first uh, tour was with James Brown. I'm like, James Brown? Oh, I mean, wow. he goes, they thought I was black. Oh, that's so funny. They, I said, why? And yeah. he goes, the sound of my voice and my name, right. B.J. Thomas. Right. I'm like, that is extremely interesting. So did you ever get booked in the wrong crowd? And, <laughs> you know, because he did explain. His story was amazing. Yes, about, I got you know. so booked in the wrong, so wrong <laughs> club once. <laughs> One New Year's Eve, oh my God, I haven't thought about this in decades. I was booked in a Jamaican club in Jamaica. <laughs> you don't mean Jamaica Queens. I don't mean either. Jamaica Queens, honey. I mean actual Jamaica where... Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, and, and I was playing, <laughs> and it was New Year's Eve, and again, I'm playing my heartfelt songs because... That's what I do. <laughs> midnight blue, That's one right. more time. Yeah, that was even before midnight blue, and and I was playing in this scary club. And at some point, some guy said, "Get off, man! We want to dance." That's so <laughs> I funny. Said, really, I'm walking into the ocean. Stop here <laughs> in Manhattan. I gotta go. It was terrifying. <laughs> And, and still the manager wanted his cut. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know so. what? I, I I think that for singers, I guess yeah. it could be the same type of thing as it is for in comedy where well, be, you're stuck in the wrong booking. Well, I don't I don't know. Let me ask you a question as a comedian. You you are 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 you entrusting your vision of yourself to a manager, an agent, or do you say this is what I am? Uh, well, after learning the hard way, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm no longer entrusting right. that right. because I've been put in the wrong situation way too many times. Exactly. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, I was shocked at how wrong, because uh, <laughs> I think that when it comes down to it, it's a business. Yes. It's it show is. business. It is. And if they can make their money and book you in the wrong place, they're sitting in their nice office while you're being thrown to the wolves. That's right. And they don't really care. Right. The check clears, that's all they they care true. about, that's you know? Yeah. But I think we feel differently. We do. You know, uh, as being part of that sort of first wave of singer-songwriters, you you sort of think that taking care of your art and craft is what you're supposed to be doing. But you're right, it is a business, and for all of the people, the line of people that say, we're protecting you, we have your back, nobody's protecting you, and nobody really has your back. No. They think that they do, Sometimes. But, not, but not really, and it is part of your job to protect your own back, and that's that's a very hard lesson to learn. Now, I'm impressed with your manager, Susan. Right? I'm very impressed. She's she's not my manager, actually. I have asked her to be. She's my tour manager. 
Oh, okay. So uh-huh. you, okay, explain the difference well, to everybody. Well, uh, Sue Holder has been why? working with me for, is it over already? No, why? What? Oh, Are we okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, Sue and I have been working together for 29 years. She was originally my background singer. um, And then uh, she became my assistant. And then she moved into the position of tour managing. Tour managing is very detailed, very intensive uh, work because it's all about moving lots of bodies, making sure everything is right on stage, uh, knowing... Uh, knowing how to talk tech to the sound people and the lighting people, having a sense of what the show is supposed to look like. Um, uh, she thinks on her feet. She's uh, And the fact that she's an st- uh, educated musician, she can talk to the musician's music. I see. And help me interpret stuff. So it's kind of like Fascinate. having a musical director. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and do you have a manager as well? Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. Not yet. I'm in between. Okay, so... But I'm not sure that I need one right this second because the paradigm shift of the industry, as you know, is so changing that not only have they reinvented the wheel, I'm not sure that the wheel is entirely round anymore. I'm not entirely sure one needs a manager. I kind of think... We just had this conversation on another interview Mm -hmm. the same way. Well, because if you have somebody that is so media savvy that they know how to help you. Because what I do know for sure is you don't necessarily need record companies to get your music out anymore. My students come to me every six months with a brand new project, shrink wrap, beautiful artwork, five songs, details, everybody's playing beautifully and making beautiful music. And they're saying, look what I did, professor. And I said, "Uh, what? When do I get my turn? How did you do that? And it cost $12. I, isn't that amazing? I mean, technology. Real? Come on. It is technology. You know, so, so though I am a dinosaur in the last of the party, I want to be part of the party. I think it's fascinating. I think you're right. And you know what? Uh, in in comedy, anyway, in one of my interviews, it came out that even agents are becoming obsolete, you know, because of the same reason. And a lot of them have shot themselves in the foot. I mean, record companies have largely shot themselves in the foot. How so? Uh, gigantic budgets. Huge, huge budgets that mostly could not be paid back. Huh. They were, and they were, you know, they were essentially a bank. They are essentially a bank. And they give you money to create your work. And it's usually at a very inflated price. Um, Sounds like the government. Exactly, <laughs> right. government. exactly right. But the, but the problem with the music industry is that even after you've paid it back, the masters that you've created, the records you've created still belong to them. And there is a huge push uh, in Washington, D.C., to revert all of that stuff. But, but it's not back. done yet. Oh, no, it's massive, because that would probably be the death knell of everything. Now, how have you, when you were at your highest in fame, mm-hmm. how did that affect you? It was good. You liked it. <laughs> not everybody it likes it. Good. It's amazing. You know what? I, I always wanted to uh, be famous enough to not have to live behind gates. And so I got my wish. And I took time off to raise my to have my kids and to raise my kids, and um, and all of that really hot stuff happened before I had kids, so that allowed me to do uh, what I needed to do. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was great playing in big theaters. Um, it was interesting to have people wanting you a lot. Um, worst part? Well, the worst part, I suppose, was. Um, 
Well, the, the, the most confusing part was when the industry started to change in the mid-80s. Uh, because electronics started to show up, and then it no longer became an artist's-oriented uh, medium. It became a producer's-oriented medium, because the producers suddenly had the toys. And if the artists were interested in playing with the electronic toys, some of them could be masterful and magnificent, like Michael Jackson. But for those of us who lived quieter expressions, we were songwriters and singers, and for me, the torch I was carrying was from Ella and Judy and Carol King and Laura Nero, and so that was my path. It was a quieter one. And when you say Judy, Judy Garland. Judy Garland just, and just, Ella Fitzgerald, yeah. right. Um, and so... Um, and so technology actually played with the voice. It actually did stuff that wasn't particular. It was mystifying and not particularly interesting. And um, and so I I didn't quite get it. And and I understood that I was losing my place. And um, and so I needed to back away. And uh, I'm not sure if I had a nervous breakdown, but I know I had kids to raise. So that was enough. <laughs> I was going to say, that must have freaked you out pretty much. It you did. Know? Well, it, it, it ma- is pretty freaky. Many things. That, well, it was odd because you couldn't find a place. It was very hard to find a place. Um, so I raised my kids and I wrote a lot for Disney. I wrote the score for The Great Mouse Detective and uh, Lady and the Tramp 2. And I wrote a musical called I Sent a Letter to My Love. And um, huh. so, so I was busy doing that. And then um, I was gone long enough to start to get that flicker of inspiration again, that hunger. How do you get, how do you create that inspiration? Because I have trouble sometimes where I go through periods where it's just not there and I'm trying to force it. Yeah, I know. Well, unfortunately, you can't wait for inspiration. You know, work is just work. And I'll tell you what happened for me is um, the great songwriter, Paul Williams, who's a dear and beloved friend of mine, uh, we were writing together, and he said, you have to start going to Nashville. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah. He said, because here in L.A., they want to know what you've been doing lately. In Nashville, they're just glad you showed up. I said, they're glad I showed up. He said, oh, yeah, they're going to be thrilled. And so I went. I started to go to Nashville um, in around 2003, and it was thrilling to go there because it is a bastion of songwriters who just want to be better than the last song that they wrote. And they thought my ideas were swell, and their ideas were swell, and their craft was so refined. Um, It it may not have been a shape of a song that I would have thought of to write by myself, but to be in a room and be so intrigued by how they all thought and how they interpreted ideas because they still, they wrote like I did. You know, we would sit down and say, so... And off we would go. Wow. And two two hours later, three songs were written. It was wild. And so that great gave me great hope. And, See, uh, I just thought Nashville was more for country. No, oh no. Country is major crossover now. And what is defined as country is really sort of pop-ish. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Melissa Manchester. We'll be right back, and you are listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong. Plus, we are streaming live at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com every Thursday, 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And all previous shows are archived at LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Please visit our website. 
How would you like to create a whole new you? That's right. That person you see in the mirror every day, well, you can change how you look and how you feel about yourself by calling Hairworks by Janice Fusaro. Janice Fusaro is the Maserati of hair extensions with over 20 years of experience and is the best of Las Vegas, specializing in great lengths and is certified by all the top hair extension companies. And feathers are available. Whether it's making your hair longer or thicker, Janice can make your dreams come true. Go to longhairextensions.net and see the before and afters. And then pick up the phone and make an appointment for your free, that's right, free consultation. Call 702-326-6564. It's a whole new you with Hairworks by Janice Fasaro. When you walk into Dr. Gary Lee's Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic in Henderson, you'll love the design. Created as an elegant refuge of beauty, peacefulness, and tranquility. If cosmetic surgery is not right for you, then consider what Dr. Lee and the Horizon Ridge Wellness Center can do for you. Dr. Lee specializes in Botox. Cosmetic wrinkle filters, spider veins, laser skin technology, anti-aging wellness, and medical weight loss. At Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic, we help you look your best by giving you the inner confidence and strength to feel your best and to project this to the world. Call today, 702-938-0190 or on the web at www.hrwellness.net The Horizon Ridge Wellness Clinic Welcome back and here's more of Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFong Hey, hey, and we are back with more Melissa Manchester Have you ever written a song uh, it didn't have to be a hit but have you ever written a song about a breakup or all of my songs are about experiences really any from good experiences uh you know the the good part is that the the songs help to create insight uh when when Carol Sager and I wrote Midnight Blue it was out of a conversation and that's why it sounds so conversational and that's part of Carol Sager's brilliance is that her lyrics um, they start as if in the middle of a conversation so they pull the listener in right away it's really fascinating but um, anyway so so yeah yeah all kinds of good experiences when I wrote uh, with Kenny Loggins whenever I call you friend we kept um, oh that's running, that's interesting yeah we kept running into each other at awards shows and um, he came over to my house one night and we wrote that yeah how awesome. Yeah. Anybody else that comes to mind that you just had a great connection with to write a song? Well, I had the privilege of writing with Bernie Taupin several times, and Bernie is Elton John's lyricist. Oh. And I have never worked with anybody. He doesn't write with you in the room. He sends you lyrics. He sends you lyrics, and, and they're not... Bernie Taupin's lyrics are not lyrics per se. They are literature. You could just put them in a frame and hang them on the wall and go, I'm glad that you're on my wall. They're just brilliant. And they sing themselves. And, um, and I have been privileged to have him send me a few lyrics, and I've set them to music. And um, it, You know, lyrics are not meant to be read. They're meant to be sung. And when somebody has such a sense of 
language and you don't know where it comes from, that they become whatever character they're writing and it's really a monologue. It sings itself. Right. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. (laughs) Question. Frank, are you out of tape? No. Are you okay? Oh, yeah. Okay, because you you just signaled me. Yeah, we're at, uh, oh, like uh, 26 minutes. That's okay. Because I talk. I give long long answers. That's okay. That's okay, because I just, because I have a couple of other questions I really want to, yeah. I'm looking at everything. You understand? Yeah, don't. Like I said, let, let, it's their problem. <laughs> oh, you have a prior engagement? Do no, you? Okay. no, not at all, not at all. So you have politics in comedy? Huh? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Still, huh? It's absolutely, it's horrible. That's <laughs> what it is. Yes, yes. It's not what you know. It's who you know. And yes. especially with the, the with the women, I don't like who they put as representing women comics. I don't like that. I get it. It's a stereotype I got of it. that, you know, the weak it. and the the always that stereotype and the ones that you'll get Elisa Lampanelli breaking through because she's so out of that mold. But it's few and far between. Mm-hmm. You know, like the uh it's they want to project, like, if you go, if you look at all these talk shows and who they're putting on, first of all, very few women. Yes. And the women that they do put on are not mm-hmm. uh, not what you would, not up-and-coming um, people who break the mold. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think guys are threatened. And I think that they don't like strong women. Mm-hmm. Like, Elaine Boozler's terrific. Mm-hmm. And... She went through, she killed on The Tonight Show. They Mm -hmm. never went back. But you're not getting me talking about my business on your interview. You're not doing that. (laughs) So I want to ask. Yes, I do too. And, and, you know, she's a good sport about Mm -hmm. the way she's been treated in the the business. Bring back in because you said take a break. Okay. 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 Great. I love that. Bill Cosby did this to me. He totally took me off into. He said, "I go wait a minute. Who's interviewing who here?" <laughs> Bill Cosby is so sweet. He and I used to have the same valet because we used to play at Harris and Tahoe. So we had the same valet. His name was Cam Cooper. Uh, Cosby, Sammy Davis, and I had the same valet. Uh, but at some point, those guys sort of retired a little bit, and I was still on the road, so Cam stayed with me. <laughs> when, uh, Cam Cooper was his name. And when I was pregnant with my second kid, <laughs> Cam called Cosby, and he said, Cos, Melissa's going to have a baby. And he said, put her on the phone. And I get on the phone with Cosby, and he says, I'll deliver your baby. I said, fuck you. You only play a doctor on TV. That's great. I was thinking, oh, he's Mr. Huxtable. <laughs> Dr. Huxtable. So sweet. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So, um, okay, let me do my... uh, uh, And we are back with Melissa Manchester, much more Melissa Manchester. (laughs) Oh, I love Melissa Manchester. Okay. So I wanted to ask you, when... If you had to do things over again, looking Mm. back, what would you have done different, knowing what you know now of the music industry and how it's changed? What would you have done differently having that foresight? That is a superb 
question because I know it now. I know the answer now. I would have slowed myself down. I would have slowed my thinking down. Because whenever somebody talks, what I know about myself to be true is that when somebody speaks fast to me, I need to slow to listen slower. When somebody talks fast, I need to listen slower to really hear what they're trying to either put over on me, <laughs> usually, or or presume that I understand what they're talking about. Okay. And the truth is, I don't. And the truth is, I slowed myself down to about a seven-year-old. So I require people, lawyers, managers, agents, to talk to me until I can understand something. Ah. Because with business, I don't understand it. I understand it sort of as the words are coming out, but then if I tilt my head, it drips out of my ear. So I really need to, I would, I would advise somebody to make sure that they're slowing their thinking down so that they really understand what's being explained to them and bring pads along and write stuff down, take notes. The other thing, which is the most important thing that I would advise to anybody, is to not worry at all about being liked Oh. Worry only about being respected, and that starts with yourself. I think that's true in any business. That's right. In any, and it took I me agree with that. a really, really, really long time. So you were one of those, like me, people-pleasing people. I was. Signed awful contracts, didn't understand what I was getting myself into, never slowed down long enough to notice fine print, all that stuff. So I'm surprised you didn't just take it to an attorney. <laughs> and that was with attorneys. <laughs> with attorneys. Oh, yes. Now that is interesting. Yes, yes. Because Alas, I've had true. the same experiences. Yes, yes. And I mean high-end attorneys. Really high-end. Really high-end. <laughs> probably the same guys, right? They're probably no, the same, same attorneys. But, you know, I find that in the business, you just assume that people have your back. You assume people have your back because people say, I have your back. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that. It means I need to have my back. And whatever that requires for me to actually feel that I have my own back, which for me means slow my thinking down. If people are talking fast to me, I say, thank you very much. Could you explain that again? Fourth time. Just explain it once again. And could you draw pictures? Really? <laughs> draw pictures? You know, I, I've never used that yeah, one, but I'm going to have care? them draw a picture. What do I, I've been doing this for 40 years. I don't care you know what, what the picture would be? Me That's, hung. Right. <laughs> That's the picture, you know? That's the picture with a gun to yeah. my head, you know? I, you know what? More than anything, I really want to get this life right. Because the artists that have so informed my soul, Judy Garland, Ella Fitzgerald, Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughn, Oh, great. So many of them. Rosie Clooney. They were magnificent people. Nat Cole, Sinatra, Tony Bennett. Well, he's the rare exception. But so many of them who gave so much to the world and were screwed seven ways till next Shavuos. <laughs> Shavuos. And, you know, and you think, <laughs> really, how do I help to break this spell? How do I be part of the solution? I thought being part of the solution was being an artist, but it's not enough. You know, at some point, I just really want to feel that I'm getting my life right. So for me, I'm still in that process. 
Wow. Which is fascinating. It is. But it, it has to do with not only, you know, there there are times in life where you're blindsided or a wall falls on your head and you think, okay, I'm awake now. It's not about waking up. It's about staying awake. And that's the hard part. Hmm. Because in life, you think you're awake and then you realize, oh, I'm asleep. I have to wake up again. So at this point, I there is a chance that I can stay awake. I'm not sure, but I really hope so. I think a lot of artists feel like they they want to just focus on the creative and yes. they don't want to deal with the business end at all. That's right. And they feel that it is their prerogative to do that. That they, that they well, could just hire somebody. Well, yes, but that's in conjunction with it's so hard to get to that first rung on the ladder that if some manager, agent, whatever, says, sign on the star and I'll make you a dotted line, and you go, please like me, yes, I'll sign. That's what happens. Yes, yeah. and over I think and over that's again. the biggest mistake well, that, uh, that I made anyway. Well, all I, of us. Yes, sure. You know, all I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want right. to deal with the business. Right. It's like I, I enjoyed being able to focus on the creative, right. but I had no idea that only I yes. can handle that part. Right. Nobody else knows what I want. Right. But don't you find that that what you just referred to, that image of only I, required a certain maturity, a certain slowing down of your thinking process to say, okay, who's occupying my space? Oh, yeah, nobody else. Right. It's me. So nobody else knows who I am. So I can take suggestions, but really it lands in my heart and at my feet. Yes. Right. And that that requires a certain adjustment in slowing down the thinking because we are such joy addicts. If if there is anything I'm addicted to, it's joy. I know that feeling. I thank God from every fiber of my being for that feeling. And I live for that next moment. And it doesn't necessarily have to be on the stage, but it's located there. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's where it is. Um, And and so when you are addicted to that magnificence that radiance it's very hard to stand down from that and say okay i have to do the homework now that comes with it that's great you know and it's i I know what you're saying but i know you know what i'm saying yeah And 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 if i can teach that part to kids who are only babies and at the beginning it's it's hard because you don't know if they get it. Because I only get it because I, know. I have that long exactly. arm of experience. But we'll see. I know what you're saying. Yes. But can you, before we end this interview, can you give us a little acapella anything? Oh. Anything. It, you could just do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I don't care. I want Melissa Manchester <laughs> acapella. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad we had this time together. I don't know the rest of the That's line. That's fine. But isn't that lovely? You did it. That's and- from Carol Burnett's show. I love that. Yeah. Of course, it's from yes. Carol. She's one of my faves yes. also. Yes. And I just wanted to also, we are here at the Sun Coast mm-hmm. once again backstage with Melissa Manchester. The Sun Coast is one of the best showrooms in Las Vegas. Yeah. And I also love the Orleans, which yes, is, uh, you right. know. Now, I want to know give us some insight what the audience can expect oh, this I love weekend. The show. I love the show that I'm doing. It's with my band. Uh, but not only is it music and stories of the journey of my career, but there are also videos. I pay tribute to my darling Marvin Hamlish. Barry Manilow and I sing a duet together. Uh, oh, it's just wonderful. There's, there's stuff from the 80s. It's just a riot. And we all get a chance to laugh 
at me, and I lead the laughing. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Multimedia show with Melissa Manchester. Thank you so much. You You have been just so much fun. I love it. And that's it for this week. And we'll see you next time. You have been listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk with your host, comedian Michelle LaFon, where you can listen in on those inside conversations and backstage stories with the stars that make Las Vegas the entertainment capital of the world. We are streaming live every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Audio of past shows are archived on LasVegasBackstageTalk.com. Videos of backstage interviews are also on Las Vegas. VegasBackstageTalk.com and we are available on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Las Vegas Backstage Talk.